It's Wednesday, February 27th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Pro, Brian Hinman. Good to see you guys. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. Uh, earnings Palooza rolls on. We're going to talk retail, entertainment, restaurants. We're going to start with Priceline. Priceline's fourth quarter earnings came in higher than expected. Revenue was up 20%. Shares up around 3% this morning, Matt. Uh, kind of seems like the Priceline... Uh, gravy train for investors is just rolling on. Oh, it just continues to roll. It's been such a massive winner uh, in recent years. And, you know, what a lot of people don't know about Priceline is this is really a European story, which is kind of odd. It's not a William Shatner story? Well, you know, it is. It, in it my is. heart, it is. Right. For Americans, it's definitely a William Shatner story, or even a Kaylee Cuoco story. She's, I guess, the from the Big Bang Theory. She's now his daughter yep. in commercials, which are pretty funny. But this is really a European story. And, you know, despite Europe being in what many would call a depression, Europeans still love to travel. They still love to book hotels. And so the company's Booking.com business, which actually accounts, accounted for 89% of Priceline's gross profit in the most recent quarter. It's amazing. Um, bookings there are just huge. And I think the company's calling for even bigger growth going forward in that business. Which they are calling for bigger growth um, in Europe. And yet they are also saying, and I love this phrase, uh, this is straight from Priceline's statement. Variabil- variability around guidance is elevated, which to me says, well, this is what we think is going to happen in Europe. But, oh, by the way, just a reminder, it's Europe, and anything could happen, and it could blow up at any time. Right. But Doesn't that make you nervous it, at all? It does make me nervous, and I think it's made investors nervous for a, for a long time. But the business has just been so resilient. They've built this really incredible network of hotels that use Booking.com, and they just continue to do that. They, they you know, sort of eschew other advertising uh, avenues to go after Priceline, and it's worked. And this, this, is, this is just what's killer. If you look at uh, um, Priceline's biggest competitors, Expedia, Orbitz Worldwide, TripAdvisor, C-Trip, which is the Chinese online yep. If you add up all their profits, then double them, you're almost getting to where Priceline is right now. Domination. Total domination. Um, Priceline is the one that is acquiring Kayak. Am I right about that? They did. They acquired Kayak, I think, at the end of this past is, year. Is, is, is all of that wrapped up? Is that, is, is that integration I think that's seamless? In, right. Well, I, I'm not sure about that, I, and I don't know how creative that business is right now. But, again, that's another big networking type of – and that's mostly in airlines, but, again, another – potential profit avenue for them down the road. When you look at the stock, keeping in mind it's had an amazing run, um, what do you think of the valuation right now? For people who are looking at this and hearing things like, you know, uh, Brian uttering domination, but, you know, your point about just how much bigger they are relative to the other competitors, but if you look at the stock, is it richly valued? Is it is it a little frothy? You know, it's it looks a little richly valued, and you know the, the market cap's in the 30 billions, and so that, that always scares me from a size. But if you look at it, I think they're still in the low teens in terms of market share and for worldwide hotels. Gosh, you know, if you think about the growth in places like Asia, you know, India, China that are that are getting into Priceline's network, Booking.com, growth could be even bigger down the road. So maybe not too expensive. Target's fourth quarter profits came in better than expected, as did the revenue. Um, so, Brian, I'm compelled to ask, why is the stock down a couple of <laughs> a couple of points this morning? Yeah, like you said, results were fine, right? You know, sales and profits were up about five percent. The problem is with Target's strategy, right? Target's strategy over the past couple of years has been uh, to become more like Walmart. The problem with that is that Walmart is already like Walmart, right? And Walmart is doubling down on becoming more Walmarty. So. <laughs> It is engaging in a, in a strategy that focuses on price instead of focusing in a strategy that focuses on differentiation. And you do not want to compete with Walmart on price. Uh, 
the strategy shift has been one from uh, from margins, focusing on margins, to now focusing on trying to defend its market share. Uh, and another area that it's really been focusing on in the past year has been online. They promised over the Christmas season to match pricing. Well, now you're fighting a price battle with Amazon. I don't think you want to do that either. No, neither of those two strategies seem like long-term winners to me. And I think what you're seeing is management is starting to say, hey, you know, we see this competition. We are reacting to it. So there's that admission. Uh, and investors are sort of saying, okay, it looks like Target more and more is getting away from its root, roots of being a differentiated competitor in this marketplace. Um but in terms of the online, I totally get what you're saying, particularly as uh, as it relates to Amazon. But, I mean, are what is the alternative? Are they supposed to just be like, yeah, you know what, we're not going to do that online commerce thing? That, that that also seems like it would be an insane move to make. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not certainly not saying that that is the right move to make. But you look at another thing they've done, right? They, they've built out grocery. The problem is they were a few years behind Walmart on building out grocery. So, sure, they're tacking on incremental sales. But those sales are notoriously low margin. And so what you're seeing is a gradual shift of Target away from what it has been known for, right, like a fashionable, hip place to shop where they can charge slightly higher prices than Walmart, right? They price off of Walmart, but, yeah. but they've always had, you know, some draw in being able to do that. They got the bullseye. They got, they got the bullseye. They got the dog. You know, they, they, they signed B-list, uh, B-list designers to, to, to make their clothes for them, Right. The problem is, uh, over time, as they focus more on price, focus more on online, uh, focus more on groceries, uh, all of those things have lower margins. And so, whereas people were projecting Target to continue being Target, they now have to merge that with Target becoming more like Walmart. And that future profitability is going to be lower, uh, and you're going to see that reflected in the stock price. The thing that surprised me in their earnings statement was the fact that they're about to open their first store in Canada. I just assumed they were already in Canada. Maybe that's because they're based in Minnesota, which, for all intents and purposes, I mean, that's <laughs> that's where Canada begins. Yeah, uh, yeah. Two, there, two of their uh, growth strategies uh, for this year that they're really going to focus on are building out Canada, I think 120 or so stores, right. um, and also City Target. Um, so they're trying. But, uh, you know, those, that's going to have a really small impact. And if you look at the stock, it's sitting at a five-year high right now, right about at a five-year high. I think it's about fairly valued. And the path forward just looks cloudy to me. Fourth quarter expectations for DreamWorks and Animation were that uh, the company would lose three cents a share. Uh, unfortunately, Matt, the reality is DreamWorks Animation lost 98 cents a share. Ouch. That is mainly due to the weak numbers for the film Rise of the Guardians, uh, wh what do you make of DreamWorks Animation? Well, Chris, why don't you tell me, I mean, you were telling me how, why, you, <laughs> what are the reasons you weren't going to take your kids to see Rise of the Guardians? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I, so I, I've got kids, uh, I see pretty much, uh, and I love movie trailers, so I see pretty much every movie trailer that comes down the pike, certainly the animated ones. I remember sitting in the theater last, I think it was last summer, with my kids when the trailer for Rise of the Guardians came on. And I just remember looking at that saying, that, that's not at all a movie I'm going to take my kids to in the theater. Because it's, it's a, while the story, uh, the nut of the story is, I think, a pretty interesting one, which is essentially that Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and Jack Frost are, a bit, are essentially all working together. They're like, you know, um, uh, a holiday version of the Avengers. <laughs> the execution of the story was this literally dark movie where... All this stuff is taking place at night or in the shadows, and it just looked kind of frightening. 
Right, and well, and that's that's just it. I mean, if you, and shockingly, that's that's how it played out at the box office. Absolutely, and that is just a story about what it takes to be a, a you know a film producer nowadays. I mean, it's you invest so much money. I mean, they put 145 million in Rise of the Guardians. Now, it's estimated that worldwide box office is around 300 million. So you look at that and say, well, wow, the movie was kind of a, a success. But if you think about it's way goes way beyond production budget. It's paying theaters. It's the marketing costs. Marketing. You know, so they lost a boatload of money on this, and they wrote it off. Um, and I, I guess they're laying off some employees as well. So the problem with DreamWorks, a company like DreamWorks, is you can have the Shreks, you can have the How to Train Your Dragon, yep. which I loved. You can have the Megamind, which God, that's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> but if you if you start having a bad string of Rise of the Guardians or other movies, you're going to run into trouble. You're just going to you know you're going to flush money down the toilet. Your brand gets dinged a little bit. You know, so and this is what's happening with DreamWorks right now. We saw this with Disney, um, I guess about nine months ago, with John Carter, which was just an utter flop. And, and I, I continue to to ask the question: Why are they spending? Whether it's Disney or DreamWorks, why do they have to spend so much money on marketing? It's almost as though the success of a movie or how good a movie is 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 in in inverse proportion to how much it is shoved down our throats in terms of marketing. That's right. You know, it, it's it's just it's it's basically a risk. You know, you, you you make a movie, especially like John Carter, where you know it's not a subject matter that I mean, John Carter I think is based on a '50s comic book right. cowboy character, and you have to market that because people aren't going to know what what that movie's about. At the same time, you look at a movie like The Avengers or the, the recent Batman movie, you know, they have big marketing budgets as well, but it's, it, can, it can be so much more targeted because they don't have to sell the story. Everyone wants to go see The Avengers or everyone wants to see the Batman right. sequel. Everyone wanted to go see Shrek, the, you know, the sequel and, and Shrek the Third because uh, there was a brand established there. And so when you, when, you, when you have a movie like Rise of the Guardians where it's an unfamiliar subject matter, it looks dark, man, you have to spend on marketing. You have to convince the Hill family to go see it. Yeah, we're not going. And there you go. <laughs> so they failed, and so their marketing costs, you know. Uh, when you look at DreamWorks stock, is it at the point where it's a value play, or is this just is this sort of the entertainment version of those other online travel stocks where it's like, hey, look, <laughs> if you're going to play in this space, why don't you go with the market leader? And in this case, that's probably Disney. No, I look at DreamWorks at $16, and I think, you know, it's got some great brands. It's got... Licensing opportunities, merchandise opportunities. You know they're going to have more hit movies. They've got they've got a they've great, got some things brand. in the pipeline. They've got I think another if not another Madagascar. They have another How to Train Your Dragon movie. They have uh, the a Penguins of Madagascar movie. I think they've got this Crudes movie which comes out next month, which is about cavemen. It looks looks kind of funny. Anyway, they're they're going to have hit movies, and at sixteen dollars, you're not paying a lot. Yeah, the, the way this business works, right? You you have hits and misses, uh, and so you have to know that going in and. Also realize that, like Matt is saying, when you get a hit, it's a multiple hit usually, right? Because you then take that franchise, at least in the way DreamWorks does it, something like Shrek, and you get three to eight movies out of it, right? Same thing with uh, Madagascar. Well, and Uh, Disney does the same thing with three Toy Stories and now a sequel to Monsters, Inc. Absolutely. So that takes a little bit of the sting out of the misses. If you look at their long-term track record and believe, you know, hey, they've got a pretty good record overall, you know, investors should be willing to use the volatility of a miss – uh, you know, to take advantage of that. But I will say the problem is it's so hard to make little bets in this industry now when you're competing with, with the Pixars of the world yep. or, or all the studios. And so you almost have to spend 50 to $100 million now on every film, and that, that's, it's, it's, it's a tough business. Uh, we will wrap up with Papa John's. I guess the good news is that fourth quarter profits were up 14%. The bad news, at least in terms of the headline, is that Papa John's, uh, in addition to releasing its fourth quarter earnings, 
also announced that it is restating its earnings for the last four years, 2009 to 2012, shares down more than 9% this morning, Brian. But as we were talking about before we started taping, I'm not sure why the stock is down that much because the restatement of earnings is not that significant. Chris, my takeaway is this is a non-story, and this is clouding over the great year that Papa John's has has had. Uh, however, we need to address you know the elephant in the room. There was an earnings restatement. So what exactly happened? Basically, their auditor came out and said, you have been uh, misappropriately accounting for a couple of joint ventures. We need to restate the last three, four years of earnings uh, to the tune of a whopping Four million dollars. I was going to say, wait right. for it. Four million dollars. So this is this is this is incre- what a hit. this is incredibly minuscule, right? But what I feel they they pay Peyton Manning more like ten seconds <laughs> exactly. of commercials more than that. Right? So so, but it also doesn't affect revenue. It doesn't affect operating profit. It doesn't affect uh, cash flow. Uh, and most importantly, it does not affect uh, how well Papa John's has been operating its business. Right? This was a math error. Now, what's really fascinating about this right, is that uh, what I think is this, is this was an auditor screw-up. Uh, Papa John's has been accounting for its joint ventures for years in the same way. Ernst & Young is the company's auditor, has been their auditor since 1991. So what the heck has Ernst & Young been doing <laughs> for the past – 20 years. I was going to say. They've been misaccounting for the joint ventures as well. Uh, the, the, when I first saw this headline, I thought, I really hope someone is, if not losing their job, um, they're getting chewed out. Because this seems like the kind of thing that even though, as we said, this is minuscule, this is $4 million, less, slightly less than $4 million spread out over a four-year period. Actually, in 2010, the restatement is to higher profit. Right. So, again, it's, it's, this is a drop in the bucket. But you do hope that just from the standpoint of uh, accountability that someone is, is getting a talking to. Sure, absolutely. And, and Ernst & Young earned in 2010 $820,000 in fees from Papa John's and in 2011 earned 960000 right? That's an increase of 17%. So they obviously want to keep those raises coming. So they're going to create more work for themselves, yeah. right? But we can't ignore the fact that, hey, the market did not like this news, right? It, the stock is down 9 or 10%. First question you have to ask is, okay, is this indicative of uh, chicanery or weakness in Papa John's as a whole. Uh, emphatically, I can say no. We've, we have owned this stock for a couple of years in Motley Fool Pro. It has been a, a remarkable winner. Uh, management has done a phenomenal job managing this business. Um, don't overlook this year's earnings either. I mean, they grew by about 20%. You can't look at this company, as I had for so long, as a pizza business, right? Low-margin pizza business lots of competition. This is a franchise business that happens to sell pizza franchises. So is the sell-off today indicative of this was a stock that was just priced for perfection, and you know what? They're not completely perfect. Yeah, that is pretty darn close to what it is. The stock wasn't priced exactly for perfection, but the stock was priced uh, richly because it has had such phenomenal phenomenal results for the past couple of years. So investors have grown accustomed to perfection or near perfection from Papa John's. Uh, now they're taking a deep breath and saying, okay, maybe I was wrong in, in assuming that that perfection would continue. Uh, I think it's an overreaction. So is this a buying opportunity today? Shares are still richly valued, um, but the growth trajectory uh, and the uh, historical uh, execution of the company uh, look great and have been great. So I think it is a decent time. There are no shortage of things that you can actually put on pizza. 
Uh, and I've always maintained that uh, meatball pizza, the most underrated. It's so good, and it's still somehow underrated. I'm just curious uh, what your pizza topping of choice is. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I have two, uh, depending on how saucy I'm feeling. Um, either, either barbecue chicken, right, which is, which is pretty saucy, yep. uh, or uh, a buffalo chicken. I like to add a little protein. Uh, that, that is so funny that you that you had chicken in both, only because I was we have our pizza day, you know, uh, once a month here at the Fool, and someone was telling me that chicken just does not belong on a pizza, and I, I disagreed with them, and I can't remember actually who was telling me that I. I no, pineapple doesn't belong. Exactly, and that that is exactly what I said. I said, who well, who went back in the day? They put pineapple on a pizza. You're saying that is more appropriate than chicken? Yeah, no, that's who who said that? I, I don't know. I, but, I, it might have been Ursula. I. <laughs> I don't want to call it out on the, on the show, but I'm going to go talk probably to Ursula. I'm going to go talk to her right after this. Brian Hinman, Matt Argusian. Guys, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Forward. My producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.